Would you stand with me as we honor God and his word as well? I want to dismiss the junior high. You can head out. High school, you're with us today. We are starting a new series. You should have received a journal, 1 Samuel, as we discuss the principles for life. We're going to begin 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The, kill, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that Hannah could stop for a moment and with this exaltation have great expectation in you for her life. So Lord, I pray that we as well would take our problems to prayer and be able to exalt and expect to you and from you great things. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can have your seat and you turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 1 as we begin a new series, 1 Samuel, the Principles of Life. And you should have received a journal. There are 31 pages in this journal for 31 chapters. And the title of every message will actually be placed as a life principle. And so every message is a life principle to write. So one life principle and one page to take notes. And so we want to encourage you to be a student of God's word. Weren't those dedications incredible? Um, just love those, uh, that time to be able to celebrate God's goodness to us. Um, also want to mention um, Zach's parents are here from Ohio. Very, very thankful for them and uh, the investment that they've made into their family of righteousness. Um, we are going to move forward. And if you're taking note, I want you to write in your journal, life principle number one, take your problems to prayer. Take your problems to prayer. First Samuel chapter 1, would you read with me verse 1? There was a certain man of Ramathium Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim. That was not tongues, that was actual names of cities. Whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. That's a problem. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children. Here's another problem. But Hannah had no children. There's a problem. There's a problem. 
And as we discussed in our ministry moment, and every hand was raised, life can sometimes be synonymous with problem. There is a problem because life has problems. There's a problem in the nation, a spiritual problem in the nation. You remember the book of Judges and Ruth. Oh, things weren't going so great just prior to 1 Samuel. In fact, the nation had become very religious following the practices of Judaism, but they'd lost the relationship so much so, the book of Judges reports, every man was just doing whatever was in their own heart, even though they were following a religion. The nation needed new birth. And so God, God used a very unlikely woman. And he's going to use this woman's life to express his heart for the nation, that the nation needs new birth. And Hannah, Hannah has a problem. Oh, she's got a very big problem. She had no children. That's a problem. Now, you kind of understand the problem in the way that Samuel presents it when he starts speaking about the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, because sons are a big deal in Judaism. So much so, they carry the line of the family. It's through the son that the property of the family can be maintained. This was just the way in Judaism. And Elkanah, Hannah's husband, we're going to discover in verse 5 that, oh, he loved Hannah so much they would even give Hannah a double portion. But Elkanah, you may have loved your wife, but you lacked some faith. So much faith, you married another woman to continue your line. You married another woman to hold on to your family's property. You chose to marry a second wife, illustrating for us, Elkanah, the problem of the nation. The problem of the nation was compromised. The problem of the nation is compounded, Elkanah, when you are trying to figure things out on your own. Elkanah, there's no report of prayer from Elkanah. There's no request of God from Elkanah. No, he just simply, in his flesh, in the way of the world, he chooses to compromise and marry another woman. This was not what God established, Elkanah. You know that. You're just trying to solve the problem on your own. Maybe you're following the fleshly decision, the worldly decision of your forefather, Abraham. Oh, Abraham, he did the same thing. His wife couldn't produce a child, so he thought. He chose not to believe in the promise of God, and he married Hagar, his wife's Egyptian slave. Wait a second, Abraham. What's going on with you? Why would you lead even maybe Elkanah in this decision? The second wife, oh, that compounded the problem. This second wife, oh, she would grieve Hannah. Go on with me, and would you take a look at verse 5? Excuse me, verse 6. Her rival, speaking of, uh, uh, speaking of Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. To irritate her. She would grieve her. This word means that she would just provoke her time and time and time again because Peninnah, she had children. Peninnah, she had sons and she had daughters. But Hannah, you don't have any. Your family will not carry on the line. My family will. And the Bible says she did it purposely. She did it to irritate her. Because Peninnah, Peninnah's hurt. It's the deep pain of a woman when you know your husband doesn't love you. She knew, 
She knew she was just being used as a child-producing factory for Elkanah. So she was hurt. And so that hurt, I've often found when people are hurt, they oftentimes hurt people. And let me tell you something, Elkanah. When you choose to go the way of the world, you're compounding a problem by not seeking God, and you're actually only bringing grief upon yourself. From this dismal, dark picture that I'm presenting to you, I need to let you know there's another character. Her name is Hannah. Oh, Hannah is the shining light in our story. Hannah, her name, maybe you'll write it down, means the woman of grace. And oh, how she handled this problem with an incredible grace that can only come from God. I'm convinced. I'm convinced the great apostle Paul studied Hannah's life. I'm convinced the great apostle Paul, when he was faced with his problem, went to God three times and Jesus spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, following the incredible grace of Hannah. You see, Hannah handling with grace, she she didn't cause more problems for Elkanah. She wasn't a rambunctious wife for the decision that her husband made. No, she didn't even return evil for evil to Peninnah. No, she was choosing to handle this in such great grace, so much so. Look at verse 3. Now, this man, speaking of Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. Now, Shiloh was that place where the first, when they first marched over into the promised land, they set up the tabernacle. It wouldn't be for several years that they would then move it to Jerusalem with David. Now, we have Eli and his sons, and they are leading the ministry at Shiloh, and Elkanah would take his family to Shiloh to worship. See, Hannah acting in grace to worship. Well, three times a year, she would go and worship as required by Jewish law. There they would be in this festival, in this religious celebration. And for Elkanah, obviously with his compromise, the religious celebration actually just became a ritual. It had nothing to do with relationship. And we as well need to be careful. Easter's on the way. And as it's coming, is it just about a new dress? Not for me, for my daughters. Is it just about a new dress or maybe a new bonnet or maybe spring cleaning? Is it just a reminder of, well, we're going to church again? Or is it the fantastical, wonderful celebration that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? She went to worship. She went to worship the Lord of hosts. Now, in the Bible, that phrase, Lord of hosts, means that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and he's in control of everything. Take a look. It's Isaiah chapter 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see, speaking of the creation, who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name. He's in charge. He's in control of all of creation. He calls it the host. Take a look at this one, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the word, the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. He's in charge of all the angels, everything in the heavenlies. So everything on the earth with creation and everything in the heavenlies. But look, Exodus chapter 12, at the end of 430 years, On that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. He's in control of people. People, heavens, 
earth. He's in absolutely, absolute control. But to Hannah, it didn't matter to her that he was in control of the heavens or the earth. It didn't matter to her that he was in control of all the peoples. It mattered to her that he's in control of her life. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah's wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And though the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? You see, Hannah, Hannah knew that God was in control of her life. She's the one telling the story to little Samuel to write it down. She's the one that tells Samuel, the Lord had closed my womb. And it was obvious. Elkanah married another woman. And through that woman, she's now having other children. But she also knew something else. Not only is in God complete control of my life, she also knew he's the only one that I can go to help. Because he's in control of all things, he's the only one that I can go to for help. And so in this grace given to her, material possessions, they didn't mean nothing to her. Elkanah says, here, I'll give you a double portion. Does that help? Material things don't mean anything to me, Elkanah. And then Elkanah and all of his husband wisdom, he goes, aren't I worth more? Elkanah, you need counseling. First of all, Elkanah, this is not all about you. Husbands, listen. When your wives are facing problems, you are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And he goes and says, listen, aren't I not worth more than you? Are you kidding me? Elkanah, this is not about you. And it would have helped if you wouldn't have married another woman if you want to say this. Because you're showing, Elkanah, that maybe you don't value Hannah like you should. But Hannah, she didn't trust in material things. She didn't trust in getting the need from her husband. No, she trusted in her God. She trusted to give her problem to God. And while everyone is enjoying the festivities, she goes to God in prayer. Would you take a look at verse 9? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. She prayed to the Lord. Number two, I want you to write it down. Take your problems to prayer. Life is filled with problems, so take your problems to prayer. Let me tell you about problems. I was hit with one this morning. And you know what I did? I was trying to call Andrea. I was trying to call Zach. And as I'm trying to call them, God whispers to me, hello, what are you preaching today? Come to me. I'm giving you this problem to remind you to pray. But this is hard because problems are hard. She's deeply distressed. She's sad. In verse 15, 16, I'm sorry, we learned she was vexed in her spirit. Her problem actually made her mad. Her problem was bigger than herself. Ask Daniel. Daniel, who was lowered in the lion's den. You know what he says to the king? But I prayed to my God. I was given a problem bigger than myself, and it reminded me to get to my God. And let me tell you, king, I prayed, and he shut the mouths of the lion because our problems, quite possibly, 
are simply to get us to go to God in prayer. It's why this principle of life is so important. Because in life, you're going to have problems. You can't escape the problems. And this life principle to take your problems to prayer, trust me, is a very appropriate one to memorize. Listen to this. I'll read it for you. It's Romans chapter 15. You don't need to turn there. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, if you're taking note. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul writing of the Old Testament, he says this. For whatever was written in former days, speaking of the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Oh, wait a second. God, you're giving me this story about Hannah because you know I'm going to have problems. And you're going to allow me to read this story and actually write it down so that I'll know what to do with my problems. Paul got it. In Philippians chapter four, verse six, I think after studying the life of Hannah, he says this, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will fill your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul got it. He studied Hannah's life. He realized this life principle, man, take your problems to prayer and listen to this precious prayer in verse 11. O Lord of hosts, listen to how she submits. I know you're in control. She goes on to pray in this, what she calls a vow If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. Church, she feels forgotten. She feels like God has left the building. She's like, Lord, please remember me. I don't know, have you forgotten me? But she chooses to surrender. She doesn't demand God like Martha and say, hey, Jesus, look at my sister. You need to do something. No, she goes to Jesus, God, and she says, if indeed... She surrenders to his will. I'm not going to direct you what to do. I'm simply going to present my request to you. And then look what she says. She says, if you'll remember then, but will give to your servant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She says, listen, I'm asking to give to you. I'm going to sacrifice in this prayer. I'm not going to keep this child for myself. If you'll just let me pass this test, I promise I'll go to church on Sunday. That's what she's saying. I'm asking sacrificially. I want to give back to you in this prayer. In verse 15, we learn that she poured out her soul. She's real. She's not, there's no pretense, there's no fake, there's no, oh God, how art thou? She's like, God, I have no child, I can't believe this. And this prayer, take a look, she submits, she surrenders, she sacrifices, she pours out her soul. What an example of the kind of prayer life that I would love to have, like our women at this church have. We hosted our week of prayer and Men, this may hurt a little. We host our week of prayer Monday through Friday, and by far, the women outnumbered us Monday through Friday. By far, the women were in this desperate prayer here every morning, seeking God in prayer. What an example, just like Hannah. But what amazes me? 
What amazes me is what happens next. Take a look, if you would, at verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, let's call him the national pastor, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Are you kidding? Let me give you the scene, okay? Here's Hannah. She's at church. She's come to church, okay? And she's like this. I just come before Okay, that's Hannah, right? This is the pastor. Pastor comes on the scene. Get out of here, you drunk woman. That's a problem. That's a problem. Can you imagine? We had several women cry over the Monday through Friday experience. Can you imagine if after one of the experiences, I go up to one of the women that cry and I say to her, hey, sweet sister, if you're going to drink whiskey before you come at 6.30 in the morning, why not, first of all, don't drive, okay? But secondly, maybe don't get drunk and come here to church. Let me tell you something. She's not the problem. If I went to the woman who's crying during prayer, I'm the problem. And that's exactly the problem. You see, the one who was praying, Hannah, was not the problem. The one who was not praying is the problem. And that's always a problem. When we choose not to be people of prayer, we choose anxiety. When we choose not to be people of prayer, we choose frustration. When we choose not to be people of prayer, it's always the problem. Because we're foregoing the peace that passes understanding. And we're going to learn. (laughs) Eli, Eli had some problems. We're going to discover he's not in a very good spiritual place. He's not a person of prayer. And he doesn't have the perspective of prayer. And so he looks at a woman in prayer. And because his perspective is off, he says to her, what, are you drunk? But the person of prayer? Look with me if you would. She answers him in verse 15. Hannah said, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I ain't got no whiskey in me, she says. But I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I want you to write it down. When we take our problems to the Lord in prayer, the person of prayer, the person of prayer is someone who is humble. Listen to the humble response of Hannah. She doesn't go, that's it. I'm leaving Coast Hills. That pastor, I can't believe he just accused me of being drunk. I'm out of here. Who does he think he is? That's not what she does. She says, no. Let me tell you why she's humble. She's humble because she's been in the presence of the living God. She's been in presence of the Almighty God. Let me tell you something. When you get in front of the Almighty God, your our perspective changes. We get lifted to the heavenlies. It's like the comparison of being in a valley or being on a mountain. I told you guys, last week I had the privilege to go home to the Bahamas. My uncle had given us a 25-year trip, and it was just exciting to be able to go home. And let me tell you something. When I fly over my little rock, 7 by 21, that's all it is. And I grew up in a 7 by 21, that's all it is, okay? When I fly over my rock, I can see from sea to shining sea. 
I see the aqua all around it, the white sand beach, then the aqua, then the deep blue. From that perspective, let me tell you something. I am loving my island. There it is. And we're flying in. Oh, I'm home. I start singing the national anthem, like the whole thing. I'm just so excited. We're back in the Bahamas. And then I got into traffic. Let me tell you something. There are more cars than people on the island of New Providence. And you drive like this. It can take you 45 minutes to go a mile. That's why Bahamian speed. When we get here to the 405, we're so excited about going 75, we try out 95. It's like, whoa, this is great because we're not used it. And then we can drive for miles. We're from an island 7 by 21, man. Let me tell you something. We don't have highways. Our longest highway is 3.2 miles. Let me tell you what happens. When I was down in that traffic, I got frustrated. When I was up in that perspective of the plane, I was in this joyful place. And maybe quite possibly, we need to get to prayer so that we can stay in the plane perspective. And when you're in that perspective, you're going to be humble because you're in the presence of God. Person of prayer, would you take a look at verse 18? 17, I'm sorry, Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And he said, let your servant, she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. No longer sad? Wait a second, she was mad. Wait a second, she was sad. How did she get glad? Because a person of prayer always acts in faith. A person of prayer will hear the word of God like she heard, and their emotions will change. A person of prayer will hear the word of God like her, and all of a sudden, they'll be lifted to a different perspective because they've been in that perspective through prayer. And this woman of faith, not only does she act in faith, she takes a major step of faith. Look with me at verse 19. So they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Now, that's a fancy way to say they did the wonderful married thing. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, nine months later, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him and from the Lord. Let me tell you what happened. She took a step of faith. They took this long journey. They got home. She went into the tent and she lit some candles. She said, hey, babe, you heard the word. And you know what we got to do in order to watch this happen. So she lights a couple candles in the tent. She's set in the mood. Well, we take a little chuckle at that for a moment, but... Just imagine this woman who had tried to get pregnant for years. And now, as soon as she gets home, believing the word of God, she lights the candle. She says, Elkanah, we got to do something. We got to take a step of faith and trust God for his word. Now, think if she wouldn't have done it. Think if she wouldn't have trusted God at his word. Think if she would have been afraid. Now, she named her son Samuel. She had a testimony because God did something wonderful. And her testimony was Samuel, which means God heard me. I asked of God and God heard me. She now had a testimony. Let me tell you something. 
Steps of faith of heart. I remember when God told me, leave, Cal- leave Florida, leave your family, leave your mother, leave your grandchildren, and I want you to go all the way to California. What am I going to do in California, Lord? Where am I going to live? We didn't know where we were going to live until we got to Arizona. And in Arizona, a friend of ours called us and said, hey, we got a house that you can stay in for three weeks. Well, praise God, we got a three-week place to stay. Now, let me tell you something. That step of faith was hard. There was some sadness in leaving, and I think there was even some madness somewhere around Austin, Texas. And then we were on our way. Now, you hear that. Wow, you're the pastor of our church. I didn't know I was going to be the pastor of your church when I left Fort Lauderdale, Florida and came to California. I didn't know about that for almost a year until we were here. Now you hear this and go, wow, look at God. In fact, a friend of mine called me and goes, we all thought you were stupid. You had no job, you had no place to go and you just told all of us you're leaving. But now we think you're a man of faith. And I'm thinking to myself, do you have any idea what happened in Texas while we were on our way? I mean, it's one of those things where I know myself. But now everyone goes, wow, look at what God has done. Samuel, God heard my prayer. And now look at what God has done with a step of faith. But she's got another step of faith. She's got a choice. Hey, Hannah, you made a promise to the Lord. Will you remember the Lord the way that he has remembered you? Jewish law, Jewish law requires that you give your son to the the Lord. Jewish law said you had to either give your son or you paid five shekels. There was a redemption price according to Jewish law. And Hannah made the decision, I'm not going to pay the five shekels. I'm going to give you my son as a living sacrifice. I'm going to give you my son instead of pay the payments. Will you do it? Are you going to be faithful? Verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Here it comes. Here's the choice. But Hannah did not go up. Uh Uh-oh. For she said to her husband, "Uh, as soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Okay, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. In other words, Elkanah's a little concerned. You made this promise, Hannah. The same way God gave you this gift, he can take it away. Let the Lord establish his word. I mean, we heard this from God. We promised this of God. Let the Lord establish his word. Let him hold this child tight. Because Hannah, I don't know where you're at right now, and I'm praying for this child. Hannah, what decision are you going to make? Hannah, what choice will you choose? Go with me to verse 26. She said upon going, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, here's the decision. I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Of course. Of course. Remember her name. She's the woman of grace. And here she is operating in the power of grace. She makes the decision. She says, he's yours. Wow. 
I'm sure that Paul studied her life. Because in Titus chapter 2, listen to what grace affords us. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that has appeared to all men, bringing salvation for all people, training us or teaching us to renounce or say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We've got the power by grace to make right decisions. We can follow Hannah's example. We are people of grace. We have the grace of God over us. Paul, studying the life of Hannah, he realizes, wow, Hannah was given a grace. And that grace is over my life. But I don't want you to think it's going to be easy. Think of the sacrifice of Hannah. A mom surrendering her child. A parent dedicating their child to the Lord, following the example of Hannah, these parents are saying, I want God's will for my child more than I want my own will for my child. Think of mom. She's about to give her child to Eli, who's really not walking with the Lord. Think of the step of faith that she is making to fulfill her vow. Hannah, How in the world can we have a scripture reading where you are praising God in 1 Samuel chapter 2 with all of this sacrifice? I'll tell you, it's a little equation. Write it down. Problems plus prayer equals praise. Problems plus plus prayer equals praise. On Thursday, I was with a good friend of mine. He was pre-Zach. He was the director of Patmos for six years until Zach, he was a student under Zach, and then Zach took that, uh, that uh, position and then traveled here with me to California. I love him to death. He was diagnosed with lymphoma. He came to California on a mission trip. I'm a little embarrassed that God is sending people from Tennessee to save people in California when we live here. So I'm a little embarrassed by that. First of all, let me just be honest, that God is bringing people from Tennessee to save the people that they're right in our backyard. So he's here on a mission trip. About an hour into it, let me tell you what what he was. I get and I go pick him up on Thursday. Chad, we're at Long Beach State. We got into a high school. Yesterday we saw four people saved. Then we saw eight people saved. Look at these pictures. I don't know, do I bring up the lymphoma? Do I not bring it up? Like I'm watching this guy just go off praising God for salvations, which I'm already embarrassed that he's come from Tennessee instead of me going to Long Beach. And so he's going on and on. Finally, about the sixth hour of him praising God, I say to him, dude, like, can we talk about the diagnosis? Oh, I took that to God in prayer. Oh, I took that to God in prayer? Oh, yeah, yeah, I took that gun. Anyway, let me tell you what we're doing tomorrow. Problems plus prayer, no wonder Hannah could praise. Because let me tell you something about the people of prayer. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And when the burnt offering began, when they faced the sacrifice, the song to the Lord began also. 
The beauty about people of prayer is that when we are faced with our problem, God gets our attention and we are able to gain a new perspective in prayer, that 30,000 foot plain perspective where we then can get to the place of praise because of our God. And he gives us a peace that passes understanding because we recognize he's in control. We say, I may have a problem, but my perspective is different. Let me tell you something, church. God knew exactly what he was doing with Anna. He was building her faith. Because no longer is she the woman mad and sad. No, she's glad in the Lord. She's an example for us. Her life displays that God is trying to get our attention quite possibly with our problem so that we can come to him in prayer. And then he shows up giving us the perspective of heaven as the Lord of hosts. And we as well, we as well can be people of praise. As I close, I want you to see this last thing in verse 10 of chapter two. She makes an announcement. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Listen to this. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Theologians have a problem with that verse because there was no king of Israel. And so many people believe that that was put into scripture later. I don't. You see, when Hannah got the 30,000 foot level, kind of perspective, she announces and proclaims something prophetically. Through my son, he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. She had no idea. She had a perspective of heaven. My son will anoint King David. And through King David, the anointed king, Hannah, took her problem to prayer and she was able to praise because she got the perspective of heaven. Maybe we should follow suit. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for your word. So grateful that we can take a moment to pray. And so I ask in Jesus' name, would you help us be a people of prayer? This whole week, Lord, we have brought our problems to you as our church prayed together. Thank you for the women of our church who set such an incredible example. Lord, I just pray that we would follow Hannah's example and we bring our problems to prayer. In Jesus' name.